there has been a long-standing rumor that certain organizations in America that are government organizations are used to fund terrorism. They're used to, to, to bring down governments. They're used to create instability and insurgencies in certain parts of, of the world. And you don't have to imagine far off. You and I know what I'm talking about, right? Because they will do anything to bring governments down and they have the go-ahead from the American government. They have the funds, they have the influence, they everywhere they've penetrated systems. And if they do not like a government, a regime or a president, or they think that the way this country is coming up because of its resources and how they thinking is a threat to global Western dominance, they will bring them down. And the president of Iran is saying, that has to stop because you can't be a country that is championing for democracy and then you turn the other side and you're also funding terrorism. Those two things don't go hand in hand. The surgical use of terrorists by certain Western governments as a political tool will be overcome by the collective will of the people of the region. Certain intelligence and security services of Western uh, countries by in a very targeted fashion moving terrorists from area to area in the region in order to be able to capitalize on their devastating capacities. They keep being asked why have you given refuge again and again to officially recognized terror groups who have the blood of over 17,000 Iranian martyrs on their hands, as well as our head of state, prime minister, and congressional representatives. Why do the Europeans behave in this way? They must give a reasonable answer. Why do they say and portray that they're fighting against terror, however they give refuge to terror? Hello, friend, how are you doing? Welcome to another episode of our conversations. My name is Indira Kanga. I'm a business journalist by profession and a digital content creator. I love coming on here, having conversation with you guys about um, black people, Africa, our empowerment and how we can rise up and take our rightful place at the global stage. You can connect with me on social media at Ganga on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And I'll tell you why you need to follow me on social media. Because as someone who lives in Africa and travels a lot for work, I document most of my life, my work and my travel there. So if you want a different perspective of Africa, then join me over there. And there's something I'm really excited about that I want to share with you guys. Before we get to the video, stay with me just for a second. So as an African, born and bred in Africa, I've gotten the, the privilege to travel across Africa due to work. And every time I go to different African countries, I am mesmerized. You know why? Because Africa doesn't cover itself. Most of the time, the coverage that other Africans consume of Africa is Western coverage. And then we get to see our own continent through a foreign lens, through the lens of Western media. And what do they cover? Disease, hunger, poverty. And when I travel, I go to Ghana and there's culture and there's kindness and, there's, and the air is beautiful, you know, and, and the beaches are fantastic and, and there's so much fashion and the food, the spices, the depth of flavor. I come to Rwanda. It's the cleanest country. Give or take, I was, I met someone at an international conference and I told them I live in Rwanda and they said, outside of Singapore, I haven't been to a country 
that is more cleaner than Rwanda. And I'm just like, how about I start telling these stories? I start telling the stories of Africa through food, through travel, through people. So that's something I'm thinking about. Stay with me. I'm thinking about it. It's in the works. It's going to come soon. It's going to debut soon. And I'm excited for it because I want you guys, the way you love politics in Africa, Africa is so much more than politics. Politics is very core and an integral part of Africa, but there's so much about the continent and I'll begin sharing that with you guys. So let me know in the comment section if you're excited for that. End of shameless plugging of my content. Um, let's get to today's video. The United General Assembly, um, United Nations General Assembly just ended recently. And um, again, I enjoy listening to these things because it gives you a very fresh perspective. When you watch Western media, most of the time, what you see is UK, you see US, you see Canada, you see all the dominant global countries and their leaders and what they think the world order is or the world order should be. It's always a breath of fresh air to listen to other leaders, not just necessarily African leaders, but other global leaders, because very rarely will you get to hear the president of Iran speaking. Why would you even care? Because we've been made to think that this is just a place that's, you know, there's nothing there. It's just an Islamic Republic and there's so much chaos and there's so much violence and there's nothing to eat. But when you listen to these leaders, they're trying to decolonize that narrative. They're trying to take back their power. And one of the things, the topmost, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on three things. The first thing that really interested me was the fact that these leaders have gotten to a place where they've seen the Western game. They've clocked them. They're on their radar. So you can't, you can't play with them. You understand? And it's something that African leaders have been talking about, but it's also very interesting to see other leaders talk about, which is the need for a new world order. For a long time, I think, since the independence of African countries and we put an end to slave trade and colonialism, there's a, there has been a new form of colonialism. Forget new colonialism in Africa. A colonialism of ideology, of thoughts, you know, there's no autonomy of thought. The big countries will say, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. And some way, somehow, they have veto power. And that becomes Bible. That is cast in stone. That's how we do it. That is the world order. They are at a place where they've been dictating world order through and through and through. You understand? And um, when COVID came, what happened? Shut down your borders. What happened? If you're not vaccinated, you can't travel. What happened? Um, the virus, the, the most dangerous virus came from Africa. And it took Africans to stand up and say no. Um, it comes to democracy. This is what democracy is. These are the kind of leaders that you should put in office. This is what is good for you. When it comes to lending, these are the only institutions that you can learn from. This is the rate that you're lending to these people, these developing countries. And now people are beginning to ask themselves, whose world order is this? Who is it serving the most? You know, whose agenda is it advancing? And not just African leaders, many leaders across the world are saying, this world order only serves a few and it's not working for all of us. And the president of Iran learns his voice and says, American dominance is over. De-Americanization is a reality. People are saying, okay, America, this is how you do it. Good for you. We're happy for you, but we're not going to do it anymore. We're not going to do it like this anymore because it's not working for us, right? This is how you do it in the UK. We're happy for you, but it's not going to work like this in, in Iran. It's not going to work like this in Syria. It's not going to work like this in South Africa. We're happy for you. If that is how things work for you, good for you. 
but we're going to find an alternative way of making things work for us. And that's why you're seeing organizations like Bricks picking up and gaining momentum because they're offering an alternative to what is the world order that only serves a few. Ladies and gentlemen, we find ourselves at a critical junction in history. The global landscape is also undergoing a paradigm shift towards an emerging international order, a trajectory that is not reversible. The equation attributed to the hegemony of the West no longer resonates with the diverse realities of today's world. The former old liberal order catering to the ambitions of voracious rulers whose hunger has no end and to that of the capitalist has been relegated to obsolescence. In short, to endeavor to universalize American ideals throughout the world have proven to be failures. The Iranian nation takes pride in having instrumentally unmasked the true nature of the rulers in both the East and West through its Islamic revolution. In conjunction with other nations of West Asia, Iran has played a significant role in defeating the global arrogance. Now that global nations exhibit heightened resistance and awareness as non-Western powers have emerged, there is a collective hope for the establishment of a novel and equitable world order. Central to the forthcoming international order is the abandonment of global arrogance in favor of regional cooperation and order. Now, when you say no to the world order as we know it, it comes with consequences. It really does come with consequences because they will find ways of bringing you down. Case and point, look at all the trade wars that have been going on in Asia between America and China. It was the most unnecessary. And now we are hearing conversations about decoupling and, and, and I'm like, are you serious? Are you really serious? You know, there is this need, desperate need for dominance. And when it doesn't come naturally, they resort to the next step, which it could be trade sanctions, which could be proxy wars. Take a look at what is happening to Russia right now. It doesn't validate the invasion of Ukraine, but this is conflict between Russia and Ukraine, which one time it was one big country, the Soviet Union. So if you are to intervene, it should be from a mediation point of view. But what do they do? They give them arms. They give them money. They give them global support. What do you think happens? This is a proxy war. And even if Russia wanted to draw back, it will not because it's not fighting Ukraine. It's fighting all the other guys that are funding and arming Ukraine. Does that make sense? And that's what the president of Iran is calling out. He's saying we cannot continue to pretend that we don't see the proxy wars that the West continue to wage against other countries that say no to their purported world order. Employing a Cold War mentality, they strive to reconstitute blocks on a global scale. This regressive endeavor poses a significant threat to the security and prosperity of nations. The Islamic Republic of Iran staunchly maintains that the formation of new east-west divides 
should not be permitted to take shape. Making trade corridors unsafe, diminishing countries from allies to dependents, stifling the economic progress of sovereign nations, and fomenting proxy wars across Asia and Europe are all elements of this sinister chain. Ironically, these actions are put forth in the name of defending democracy. However, the global community, including nations in West Asia, have discerned the true essence of Western democracy, an appellation that all too often is a code name for coup d'etats, occupations, and ongoing wars. The true nature of the liberal democracy project has become evident to the world, revealing it to be nothing more than a velvet glove hiding a cast iron hand. Finally, 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 and this is a very controversial topic because it's something people do not necessarily touch on, and it's the fact that America has several arms of government that are funded and trained to cause chaos, to destabilize governments, to bring down governments, to bring down regimes, to ensure that there's instability so that certain multinationals can keep exploiting these countries at little to no cost or accountability and take no responsibility. And the president of Iran is saying, we see you and there's a name for what you're doing. It's called terrorism. And you cannot be the people that want to lecture us about democracy Yet you turn around and then your friends are terrorists. Actually, you're the terrorist because some of these countries, they're just chilling. They're living their life. They've not even asked you for help. And what do you do? You say, hmm, what's the next place we could cause chaos? Ah, okay, they have oil. Nice, nice. We don't like the way their leader talks to us. We don't like the way their leader thinks. We don't like his autonomy of thought. How about we cause some instability there? Guess what? There's a name for that. It's terrorism. Most, most serious uh, threats in West Asia are extremism and fundamentalism. The eradication of terrorism through an all-encompassing fight against their very roots and the very reasons that gave rise to them throughout the world will not be achieved. The surgical use of terrorists by certain Western governments as a political tool will be overcome by the collective will of the people of the region. Certain intelligence and security services of Western uh, countries by in a very targeted fashion moving terrorists from area to area in the region in order to be able to capitalize on their devastating capacities. They keep being asked, why have you given refuge again and again to officially recognized terror groups who have the blood of over 17,000 Iranian martyrs on their hands, as well as our head of state, prime minister, and congressional representatives? Why do the Europeans behave in this way? They must give a reasonable answer. Why do they say and portray that they're fighting against terror, however they give refuge to terrorists? This is a double standard. 
Discrimination in the fight against terrorism is a green light given to terrorists themselves. Well, that's all we had for you on this episode of our conversations. Thank you so much for watching. I'll see you again next time. Remember, like this video, share it with a friend and subscribe to the channel. If you would like to connect with me on social media, at Ondiro Oganga are my handles where I document my life as a journalist and a content creator on the African continent. I'll see you again next time.